It is a good day. It is church picnic day, and it is so good to see you. It's always great to see you whenever we gather. And in honor of the church picnic, I want to talk a little bit about uh, baking and making food. Uh, raise your hand if you like to bake or make food. Bakers, makers, here we go. Uh, raise your hand if you're like me and you like to eat food. Yes, I am of the eating variety. That's a lot of fun for me. Well, I brought together some ingredients, and uh, the game is uh, to figure out what can you make with these ingredients. So I have a little bit of flour, some sugar, some salt, uh, some baking soda, uh, some light brown sugar, some butter, and some semi-sweet chocolate chips. With these ingredients, what can I come together to make? The answer is absolutely chocolate chip cookies. I love the purple bags from Jewel. If you brought one today, you're my favorite friend. Thank you so much. Um, and, and if you've ever made cookies, you know the importance of getting all the ingredients just right. For example, if you have too much flour, it's going to be dry. If you replace the salt for the sugar, which is a common rookie mistake, that's going to be a weird cookie. Uh, if you don't have the chocolate chips, like, what's the point, right? In fact, uh, you may, may or may not know this. There's actually an ingredient that's common to chocolate chip cookies that is missing. Does anyone know what's missing here? Eggs! Eggs are in chocolate chip cookies, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and, and they could be up here, but they're not. So I wonder, what would it be like to, to mess up the recipe to get it all different? You know it's going to be a different cookie, right? The reason I bring this up is because what we're talking about today is that when God planned your life, God planned exactly what ingredient that you would be. And so in the room today, uh, what we have is we have some people who are flour. We have some people who are sugar. We have some salt, some baking soda, light brown. We have some butter and chocolate chips. And what God intended is that we'd always come together. We would always come together and that we would be better together. You know what this reminds me of is when I was a kid, I loved to eat waffles and put powdered sugar on it. Anyone eat waffles with powdered sugar, pancakes, powdered sugar, French toast, powdered sugar? And, and, and when I got to breakfast with the powdered sugar, I wasn't in it for the waffle. Guess what I was in it for? The powdered sugar. That was the best part of the whole waffle. So I had this grand idea. When my mom wasn't looking, I went to the cupboard and I found the powdered sugar. And Q, guess what I did? I took a spoonful, went in for the powdered sugar, and it was awful, right? Did not taste good. It needed the waffle. It needed the pancake, the French toast, right? This is what God is saying about our lives. When it comes to our lives, you are always meant to be combined together. Not many people are chocolate chips that can just be fine alone. And so if you're taking notes, here's my first point. You're fine alone, but you're phenomenal together. And there is a place that God intended all the ingredients to get mixed up, all the ingredients to be baked just right, and that environment is what we call the church. In fact, Paul has a different analogy, uh, not a, a recipe for cookies. He says that we're a body. And so we got arms here represented, and we got hands, and we got legs and feet. And that's, that's what we are when we come together. Now, this isn't a marriage sermon, but it does remind me about marriage. And, and maybe some of you have spouses. And um, let me ask a simple question, but be careful. Is your spouse different than you? Let me ask another one, and you can get brownie points or you can dig a hole on, on your response. Is that good? <laughs> Smart man. Uh, <laughs> and the differences God made between men and women were never meant to frustrate, they were meant to compliment. 
If you go back to the very beginning and God making Adam, Adam was made in a certain way. And he had this experience where he saw every other animal had a pair. Every other animal was together. There was male and female of every other. And when God looked at Adam and saw he was the only one, he had this blanket statement. And he said, it is not good for man to be alone. And then he made Eve. And the Hebrew idea of what Eve was is this word, it's clunky, you would never call a girl this, don't call your wife this, but it's the idea of counterpart. That whatever Adam was, Eve would be the opposite in a different way, but they'd come together and they would do more together than they could ever do alone because of their differences. And those perspectives, which were not intended to frustrate, would actually complement as they did life together with those differing perspectives, different gifts to help one another. And then Solomon, who picked up on this thread, in Ecclesiastes wrote this, this verse that you may have heard, maybe at a wedding along the way, or maybe you've said before, maybe you've heard before, that two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. And maybe you recognize this. In a family, at work, in a team. In fact, what's really interesting to me is we've come together to worship one God, right? But you might know that this one God has how many persons? We have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in the same one God. There's a togetherness aspect to that one God, and they have different attributes. Like the Father is credited with the creation and sustaining of the world. He's the one who causes the sun to rise and the moon to fall. The Son is the one who laid down his life so that we could be redeemed, laid down his life so we could be set free. The Holy Spirit, that's the one who opens our eyes and gives us faith to see. Gives us a heart to hold. Now, which one of the persons of God, the Godhead is better? That's a silly question, isn't it? It's not about better or worse. It's just different coming together as a complement. And so we're kicking off this series called Together. And uh, the premise behind it, and, and maybe you've heard this African parable, uh, that if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. And the season we are in the church is, is, is we've recognized it, we can't do it alone anymore. We just can't. Uh, from, from our teams to our staff to our organizational structure, alone doesn't work. Alone doesn't get you far. And so today we're going to talk about various teams. You're going to have booths that you can sign up at and get involved. Even if it's your first Sunday, feel free to check out, sign up, get involved. We're going to talk about, in a couple weeks, our organizational structure with team leaders and volunteers under and our staff that's a team. And for me, I don't really want to sell you on the idea of serving. Now, I might call you or I might invite you. I just want to prepare your hearts for that. I'm not going to try to sell you on the idea, but I'm going to let the Spirit today give you a vision of why your service matters and why I think, actually, it's not a manipulation, that it's in your best interest to get involved and serve in the context of the church. So with that, let's turn to God's word. And Man, I love the scripture for today. Um, a little bit about scripture for today. Uh, this is Paul writing to Christians in Corinth. And the situation is that that congregation was completely divided. That congregation had divisions between the rich and the poor. To the degree that when the rich got together for communion, they didn't share the bread and the wine with the poor. And so they could commune, but the others couldn't. In this congregation, it was so bad that members would get together, but one would have a lawsuit against another one. 
In this church, there were factions, and so people got together, and they were like, you know what, I like Pastor Peter. No, 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 I like Pastor Paul. No, no, I like Pastor Paulus. And there's this infighting of, well, who are we going to follow? And Paul had to speak into this a word that would galvanize them and say, hey, we're better together than we are split up. And it's there that he created this beautiful illustration, the body of Christ. And so we're going to dive in from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. You're invited to follow along. If you have a Bible today, feel free to open to 1 Corinthians 12, uh, your worship folder, or um, on the screen before you. Uh, can we just stand in honor of God's word? Is that okay? If we just stand in honor of God's word? So it says, Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in every one, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of the one and the same Spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. This is the powerful word of God. Could you turn to the person next to you and tell them, you are gifted. You are gifted. Absolutely, in an incredible way. Please feel free to be seated. Oh, excited to dive into God's word. When it comes to the business world, does anyone know what the, the acronym ROI stands for? That's it. I heard it. Return on investment. And when you hear that terminology, return on investment, I want to get your mind going with what I think was maybe the worst ROI that I've experienced. Let me tell you a story. So my dad had a life insurance policy on me, and when I became an adult and didn't need it because I had a job, he cashed it in. It was worth $800, and my dad said, hey, Dustin, here's $800. Go and do as you like. Trusted me which was maybe a bad idea. Well, anyway, I wanted to dip my toes into the stock market. And I had some friends who were starting to invest, and, and so I wanted to just see if I could make it big, right? You know, uh, with the gifts and tools available, see what I could do. So I went to Morningstar.com. If you're an investor, you know about Morningstar. And I found a stock that was highly rated. It was like four or five stars. They, they sold cell phones. And this was a while back. This is like 20 years ago. And, and so like, Cell phones were, were up and coming, right? And I figured, you know, cell phones are kind of going to be a big deal. You know, other countries, a lot of them have them, so here we go. And over the course of time, it was about seven years that I successfully took that $800, and I haven't actually told my dad who watches these sermons, <clears throat> to $150. <laughs> That's all that was left of that investment. Sorry, Dad. And it reminds me of bad ROIs. It reminds me of my dreams that would be good but didn't come to fruition. And, and so where did your mind go when you think of a bad investment? For some of you, did it go to trying to fix something and you made it more broke? 
For, for young ones, you go to video games because you spend a lot of time, but you still don't have anything to show for it. For others, is it sports? You know, my brother played sports. He was really good at basketball. He was recruited for basketball. Um, he, he played against a guy named Mike Bibby uh, who went on to the NBA. And so he was at, at some top levels. Um, but he's a pastor now. And, and I've heard more than once, like, why did I spend so much time shooting hoops? As a pastor, it does not matter how good I am at shooting a three-pointer. Right? So there are bad ROIs, aren't there? Now I want you to consider the very best ROIs. Where's your mind go? And as you're thinking, I want to bring up what we just did this past week. We took some leaders to the Global Leadership Summit, and we heard from the former CEO of Walt Disney. Here he is. Just came up with a book and was kind of sharing the success of Disney. If you've ever been there, you know they do things with excellence. You know you can have a magical experience there at Disney World. And, um, and one of his big principles, be decent to people. Seems common sense, seems like it would be the good thing to do. But basically, be good to people. In fact, the leaders who were gathered for these past two days, it was a common thread throughout the whole thing that in a time of crisis, in a time of pain, you know what matters more? Kindness. Love. The very things that Jesus told us to do and wants us to be all about, they matter more when times are tough. And maybe you know that. Maybe you know what it was to have a hard day and someone just simply said a nice comment and it lifted your spirits. Maybe you know what it was to have a tough financial time and then someone was generous and what that meant for you. Maybe you remember when you needed some help and someone lent a hand and was right by your side and what that did. God reminds us when it comes to ROIs that helping others is so good. And I was inspired by our congregation this past week. Uh, there is a, a farm in Manhattan uh, that has a, a ton of veggies this time of year. And so there are those who are picking veggies um, th this past week. And uh, it feeds 22 local food pantries. That's incredible. And when we think of like those who need food, what better thing can we be doing than, than giving that to others? Well, that's what God intended with your gift. When he came to the discussion of gifts, he says, now to each one the manifestation is given, not for my good, not, not just for my kingdom, but what? For the common good. So if you're taking notes, here is a takeaway. That I believe one of the greatest ROIs has to be helping others. I don't think you're ever going to regret that. Being kind, being loving. I regret a lot of things. I don't regret the time I loved someone. And that's the mission of amazing love. See, see, that's why we're organized. This isn't a social club for saints, for people who think they have it all together. This, this is a hospital where we try to help hurting people. And, and so when you sign up to be in hospitality, you're not just saying hi to someone. You're not just saying it's so good to see you. You're letting people know that the beating heart of God is one of love for them, is one that cares for them, that knows their name. When you make a cup of coffee here, that's a good cup of coffee. You're not just making a cup of coffee. You're telling the prodigal who knows their guilt and shame that they can belong and that they're home. And we're going to have great conversations because they're part of this family. When you volunteer for Kidman, 
You're not just watching kids. You're not just taking them to the bathroom and doing crowd control. You know what you're doing? You're helping create an environment where kids see that in this world, the truest treasure is Jesus Christ. He's way better than sports. He's way better than celebrities. When they see Jesus Christ, they're going to grow up someday and be like, why would I run away from him? Why do I want anything other than him? That's what we do when we serve together. We help people in the greatest way possible. And you can be a part of it. But now, and I'll try not to get too heavy, there was a part that convicted me. So I was considering ROI, and I was considering my Heavenly Father's perspective, and as he looked down on my life, and I considered all the opportunities he gave me, and I don't mean to be proud or arrogant, but I just believe that the grace of God is way better than what I deserve. I consider all the opportunities I've had, my wonderful parents, I consider my pastors, I consider this opportunity, I consider all the opportunities, and I hear my mom's voice to whom much has been given, much is expected, Dustin, and I wonder, like, if I were God, would I make the same investment on me as he did? <laughs> I'm not sure I would. I'm not sure I would. Because with sober judgment, I know all the opportunities I've been given and all the opportunities I didn't take. I know all the goodness that I've been given and all the goodness I did not give back. I know all the times I was not about him or others or about his kingdom, but my own. If you would do the same exercise with the lens of a heavenly father looking at the ROI that he did for you, would you be in any area convicted? There is an area that I could have, there was this opportunity that I could have, there, there is this. But I love that I'm not God. And I love that his thoughts are not my thoughts and his ways are not my ways. Because superior to me is this incredible idea, this incredible sweet gospel. Superior to me is Romans 5 verse 8 that says, While I was a sinner, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And what this means is that when I had nothing to give God, I was a deficit. I was a debt to him. I was a drag. When I had nothing to give and no promise of an ROI, no idea that I would return or respond in any way, he gave everything. His very life. Because we have a God who helps people. A God who sets captives free so they can know they're forgiven. A God who enables people not to fear death because he's overcome it. A God who has an answer for anxiety and depression and all the grief that we're facing because he's with us and he's for us and he's working right now in your life and he will never leave and he will never forsake you. And I have this idea that, that even if I was the only one, God still would have done it for me. And I want you to have that idea too. If you've never personalized the love of God, that he had you in mind because he chose your life. He chose your eye color. He chose your talents and your abilities. If you've never personalized that he did with you in mind, today's your day. And he did it not knowing whether you'd respond, not knowing what you would give. He did it because of this crazy, unfathomable, incomprehensible, better-than-we-can-imagine love. 
that's far beyond our understanding. And I suppose this would be the most powerful point to end the sermon. That's the gospel. But I can't stop. (laughs) Because I'm a dreamer. As long as I'm alive, I want to dream about the great things that God might do because of his power, for his glory, through my life. I'm a dreamer that as long as we exist in the church, as long as one heart beats for God, what could he do through us? In fact, I'm inspired by this pastor, D.L. Moody, and this statement that he made once, it stuck with me. D.L. Moody at one time said, The world is yet to see what God will do with a man or woman fully consecrated to him. But by God's help, I aim to be that man. And when's the last time you dream big about what God would get through your life? Here I love the story of David. So, so this story actually shapes one of our core values of bringing our best And um, the the setup is that David finally came to a place of prominence. Finally, everything was going his way. He was at peace. He had a palace. And he could have just said, this is the life. Look at what I've done. But in 2 Samuel, he had this thought. Look what it says. After the king was settled in his palace, the Lord gave him rest, so he's finally at peace from his enemies. He said to Nathan the prophet, here I am living in a house of cedar. So he just built himself a huge palace, right? But the ark of God remains in a tent. David at that point took his dreaming hat and said, not anymore for my kingdom, not anymore for my house. But what does God have? And what could I make possible? And the thing is, he, he, he didn't do this in order to save himself and prove himself. He didn't do this because he felt guilty for having a palace. He was the king, he can have a palace. What's great about this is God wasn't needy, but, but David knew he was worthy, and so he dreamed. And you know what came of that? Solomon's temple, an ancient wonder of the world. And David couldn't build it because he had blood on his hands, but it didn't stop David from getting the blueprints together, from taking an offering from God's people, where, get this, he had to tell the people to stop giving. Now, I've never been in a church where the pastor says, please stop giving, we have too much. But that was David because he was dreaming. Because he was dreaming, the people were inspired, and they gave so much, he says, you know what, we got to stop this, it's getting ridiculous. So that's David's dream. When he thought about what God would get through his life, he built him a house. What is he going to do through yours? For me, I would love that he'd use my simple words, whether in a sermon or a book, so people would know there's no one higher, there's no one greater, there's no one more beautiful, more magnificent, more needed, more worthy. There's no one like our God. I just want people to know. What do you want them to know? For you, is it singing, belting out a note? For you, is it supporting, make sure your local church has what it needs? For you, is it serving, putting those talents and abilities into work and practice? If you're taking notes, what's so great about serving is this, that it's an opportunity for worship. And regardless of what the world is telling us, That you should have it your way and you should always get your own and only pursue your kingdom and and your rights and, and you. It's an opportunity to say, no, 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 that doesn't work. It hasn't worked for centuries. Why would we use that old principle? We're going to keep our minds on him. The only story that lasts, the only story that matters, the only name that will be known for all eternity is not Dustin Bloomer. It is Jesus Christ. 
And so God's brought gifts. And what's great about this section is that we see the, the various gifts, right? And if you want to look through the account, you see like there are so many profound ones. There's, you know, message of knowledge and miraculous powers and different kinds of tongues and interpretation of tongues. And, and for me, my experience is not all of these are still going on. Like, I wish I had miraculous powers. I don't have miraculous powers. But what I do know is that God still does great things. What I do know, even if there isn't, you know, miraculous powers, there's a work ethic and a tenacity that gets things done that shapes the world. What I do know is even if you can't interpret tongues, I've seen people interpret other people and say the exact right word. What I do know is that the message of wisdom sometimes is just what needs to get done and how to shape things and bring things. God is still using those gifts inside the church. But it's important to know who we are. It's important because Maybe you know this. You cannot substitute sugar for salt or salt for sugar. Salt's great, right? If you have salt, it's great on veggies, potato chips. It's great in soup. In fact, I think it's mostly what ramen is made of. If you're a ramen person, salt's delicious. And sugar's great. If I had to pick, I'd say I'm more of a sugar guy. Goes in candy and dessert, soda. It's delicious. It was Kool-Aid. Do you remember making Kool-Aid? That's what Kool-Aid is. It's two cups of sugar. That's all it is. What I know is that if sugar wanted to be salt, it'd be disastrous. And same with salt and sugar. If I would take the salt shaker and use it like the sugar shaker for my coffee, I would not drink the coffee. Same with sugar. I wouldn't put sugar in soup. What God is saying to you today is don't try to be sugar if you're salt, and don't try to be salt if you're sugar. And what this means in the context of the church, please don't be offended if not everyone's in hospitality. Not everyone's a people person. That's okay. You're not even sinning because of that. But some people should greet and other people should fix. Some people should sing and other people should make coffee. Some people should watch kids and some people should really not watch kids. Like there's no patience there. It doesn't turn out well. And it's okay. You're not sinning. But the big temptation is that if you find out what you are, and let's say you're not salt or sugar, you're something as minuscule as baking soda, the temptation is not to use it at all. Do you remember the parable of the talents? So the parable of the talents, and one had five and two and one. And you remember the temptation with the one. He's like, I don't do much, right? And so with the I don't do much and it's not a lot, he hid it. It wasn't used. And I believe what God is saying to us today is this. What you're tempted to keep hidden because you think, oh, it's not going to matter. What's the sign up for? Like, what difference can I make once a month or twice a month? What difference does it make if I make coffee? Like, it's not going to matter. I'm telling you, it matters. It matters what we do. In fact, Pastor Jeff has a great principle. It even affects our faith life that if we're not serving, we're sometimes swerving in our faith because it's serving that gives us an outlet to worship God and do the things he created us to do. Because in your life, you guys are great people. You know your giftedness, and I know you're shaping the world. I know that. You're going to work, and you're doing a great job, and you're going into families, and you're making influence. But do you ever pause and be like, how can I have the biggest impact? And I have a secret to that. 
As I read the New Testament, if you really want to have lasting impact, you have to link it to Jesus. I think of that because there were rich people in the New Testament, and and the only ones that I really remember are the Magi, and you might remember them too because they brought to Jesus their gifts, and that's why it was remembered. And you might remember this young gal, and the disciples were like, why did you waste that perfume? You could have done so many things with that perfume, but the only reason it was remembered is because she brought it to Jesus and used it there. And we even know this guy's name, Joseph of Arimathea. And this rich man who could have used his riches just for himself, and his family would have been set, especially after death, this rich man could have just done it for himself, but he says, no, no, I want the body of Jesus. And it's the most famous burial place in all of history, because it's only borrowed for three days. And there will be people who are good at sports, and there will be people that are good at work, and there will be financial gifts, and there will be people who are good at music, and there will be people good at technology, but I'm just telling you, if it's not linked to Jesus, I'm not sure it's going to last. And so this is the opportunity. And one of the ways we do that is we just use our gifts in this place. We humbly do what we can together in the body and say, Lord, you can have what you gave. And so our next step today is just a very simple one, that would you consider supporting Amazing Love by serving with us? Uh, We have, again, our booths here today with signups. We're going to be making phone calls and texts and and all of that because I I don't know if you know about COVID, but uh, COVID affected things. Um, And I know that's not the heart of people. I know the heart of people knows how good it is to worship the Lord, to serve the Lord. And so we're just going to encourage that. Because as we think about it, what's the greatest gift? The greatest gift that's possibly been given. As Paul set up this lesson, he told us about it. Paul said, about the gifts of the Spirit, he reminded us at one time we were pagans and we were influenced and led astray to mute idols. And there's so many people that's representative of. There's so many people who who don't know where this is leading, who don't know what this life is for. So many people who are confused and lost and purposeless. Except for the Spirit. And the Spirit grabbed hold of people. And Paul says, but by the Spirit of God, no one says Jesus be cursed and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. And I remind you of your greatest gift. Your greatest gift isn't anything you can do. It's what God did for you. Your greatest gift is faith in Jesus. That you and I can see, he's my Savior. He's my Lord. He's my King. He's my Redeemer. He's my Comforter. He's the lover of my soul. And I have him now and forever. It's the greatest gift and nothing comes close to it. But what are you going to do with it? You know, I was considering the billion-dollar lottery winner. And by the way, um, I was driving through Des Plaines, and I do like Speedway. And, um, and I have good... No, I didn't win it. No, it's not me. <clears throat> but it didn't stop me from thinking about what if it were me? If you won the billion dollars, what if it were you? And my mind went to, like, different things that I'd do with it, Right? And, and all the, the, the ways that you can help people and, and help yourself. And like, 
And maybe if you thought about how would you use a billion dollars, where would your mind go? Cars, houses, people, charities, church. But here's what I came to the conclusion. I wouldn't just say, nah, you can have it back. Right? I wouldn't do that. Nor would I take it all in, hide it in a hole, wait till I die, like someone else can figure out what to do with a billion dollars because I don't want that business. Wouldn't do it. I bring this up because what finally is better than a billion dollars? Is a billion dollars or the message of Jesus better? And I'm not trying to be overly spiritual. But through the lens of faith, don't you see? It's the message of Jesus, our Savior, that sets captives free. It's the message of Jesus, our Savior, who has an answer for eternal life. It's the message of Jesus, our Savior, who brings true peace and true joy. Because winning the lottery, by the way, you should just track the stories. It's not joy and peace. But anyway, brings all of that in abundance. And the question is, what are we going to do with it? We're going to keep it to ourselves? Hide it under a rug? Hide it under a bushel? No. We're going to tell the world that God loves them. That Jesus laid down his life for them. Even if they'd never respond and even if they would not return. This is the message. This is the mission. And invites you to be a part of it. Amen. You know, at this time, we have an opportunity to confess our faith. And today we'll use the words uh, that Luther used to describe the first article about the Heavenly Father. And so I invite you to confess with me uh, that confession. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe that God created me and all that exists, that he gave me my body and soul, eyes, ears, and all my members, my mind and all my abilities. And I believe that God still preserves me by richly and daily providing clothing and shoes, food and drink, property and home, spouse and children, land, cattle, and all I own, and all I need to keep my body and life. God also preserves me by defending me against all danger, guarding and protecting me from all evil. All this God does only because he is my good and merciful Father in heaven, and not because I have earned or deserved it. For all this I ought to thank and praise to serve and obey him. This is most certainly true.